Last year we looked at the scripture for 2021. We closed off the year with our focus on loving God and loving each other. And we emphasised that the origins of love are beyond us. Isn't that an encouraging thought, that the origin of love is actually beyond us? We touched on that with 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, which says that we love because he loved us. So the origin of love is beyond us. And that means that the definition of love is beyond us, which has implications on how we understand what love actually is, how we define love. And then we looked at the premise that the fullness of love is beyond us too. What does that mean? Well, it means that there's a a greater love. There's a more substantive, pure, powerful love beyond humanity and and i find that hugely encouraging as well but here's where it gets really exciting john chapter 3 john chapter 15 amongst others revealed to us that love is not out of reach that kind of love that is beyond us that is greater than we could imagine it's not out of reach We sang a song last Sunday, love came down and rescued me, love came down and set me free, I am yours, I am forever yours. Love came down and that's one of the most incredible dynamics of Christmas and why we celebrate Christmas because love came down to show us a glimpse of its fullness, of its true meaning. Yes, the origins of love are beyond us, but but they're not out of reach. How can we frame that then in how we live? Well, the Word of God tells us that the greatest demonstration of love is to lay down one's life for others. And that's a large part of of how people can demonstrate love towards others. It's why we ask husbands to love their wives as Christ loves them the church when we when we do weddings at open baptist church we emphasize that dynamic of yes wives are encouraged to submit to their husbands according to the scripture what does that mean well it means that they are following and trusting the husband who is willing to lay down his life for his bride and this is all part of the the outstretched hand of invitation of god this this dynamic of love that is beyond us but not out of reach it is part of the outstretched hand of invitation because love came down and so to lay down our lives for god and for others is part of the fabric of what it means to be a follower of christ so when he instructs we obey him john 14 verse 15 jesus said those very words that if you love me, obey my commandments. So that's one dynamic of how we can respond in love to God when we love God with all of our everything. And then 
of course, with our brothers and sisters. We can lay down our lives for them uh, metaphorically. Sometimes in history it's happened literally. But when others are in need, we can lay down our lives. We can sacrifice our ourselves, our energy, our time for those around us. And so last year we had an image that we used. I always like to create an image for our scripture for the year because for me I'm quite visual so it helps me to picture and remember the heartbeat of what we're trying to emphasize. And, And so last year's image was two hearts. It was one heart at the front in the forefront with an arrow pointing up and one heart behind that with an arrow pointing to the side. And the arrow pointing up, of course, is focusing to God and to love God with all of our everything. And the arrow pointing to the side, of course, was focusing on how we can love each other. So what comes next after this? Well, we're going to look at how we can do that. Because we've always got to guard against doing a godly thing purely out of our own strength or doing a good thing purely out of our own strength when God actually invites us to do things by the Spirit. So if you've got a Bible, you can open it to Romans chapter 8 and I'm going to read from verses 12 through to verse 17. Let's just pray as we open the word. Father, we thank you for the chance to open your scriptures and to learn your truth. We pray, God, that you would open our hearts, change us, challenge us and change us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Romans 8, 12 to 17, of course, follows on from one of the most beautiful verses in Romans, one of the most encouraging verses in Romans, which says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The King James adds, the words for those who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit those words are are found in all translations further down they are in essence the whole emphasis of, of romans chapter 8 and so when we read from verse 12 we said it in that context that we're walking not according to the flesh but according to the spirit and that's where the blessing that's where the freedom is found so it says So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs, heirs with God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Incredible verses and Incredibly challenging verses. We're going to do a little bit of exegesis. We're going to unpack those verses in our time together. Our emphasis for 2022 is going to be Romans 8 verse 14. For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. That word sons, of course, meaning generically all those as part of humanity that are embracing Christ. 
Committing our, our lives to Jesus is just the beginning. I think we all know that there's a danger for a Christian to think, well, that's it, the work is done, it's finished, I can sit back now and relax. And in some regards, when we commit our lives to Christ in that moment, the work has been done, and in a sense, it is finished. Part of the work, certainly. We're, we're sealed by the Spirit, and therefore, we are part of God's family. But it's just the beginning in another regard. It's the beginning of learning how to lay our lives down for God and for each other. It's just the beginning of learning how to walk by the Spirit. And walking by the Spirit is, in essence, the public and the private declaration and demonstration of what we have become and who we belong to. Let me say that again. Walking by the Spirit is the public and private declaration and demonstration of what we have become and who we belong to. So committing our lives to Christ is the beginning. And it's the beginning of what we would say is the sanctification process. Chuck Missler, Dr. Chuck Missler, taught on this years ago, and I love this, the three dynamics of our faith. Justification, when you commit yourself to Christ, you are justified by his shed blood and made righteous in him. Sanctification is the process that you then go on to become more and more Christ-like, and then finally glorification, of course, is when we go to be with the Lord. So committing our lives to Christ is just the beginning of this sanctification process. It is a transformation that that God longs for us to take part in. And actually it's a transformation that we, deep down, even unbeknown to ourselves, we long for this transformation. It's a transformation that even creation longs for. Creation longs for the manifestation of the sons of God. There's something about this this sanctification process that is significant in all of creation. So we're going to read through every verse again from verses 12 through to 17. And we're going to define these verses, unpack these verses within their context So within the context of the paragraph that they find themselves in, within the chapter they find themselves, within the book and also within the whole Bible. If you ever want to understand what one verse means, that would be my encouragement to you. Don't just read it in isolation and interpret it in isolation. Interpret it in the chapter, in the the paragraph even first, in the chapter second, in the whole book And then, of course, within the whole Bible. So let's look then at verses 12 and 13 together. Let's have a look at these again. So then, brothers and sisters, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is the reminder... Paul is writing here to remind the people to walk in the new and reject the old. To walk in the new way and not in the old way. What is the old way? Well, the old way is when I was God of my life. When I set the standard, when I set the tone, 
when I measured my own conduct and the conduct of others against my standard, when I viewed the world through my own lens. And, and in verses 12 and 13 here, it is the reminder to walk in the new way and not in the old way. What is the new way? Well, it is remembering that God is the God of my life. And therefore, when I look at my own life, when I evaluate it, when I look at my community, when I look at my nation, when you look at the world, I look through the lens of God, through the kingdom perspective. So I understand by the word how things should be. And I understand that within the community context of faith. So as a Baptist church, we we open the word together. We discuss the word together. I always encourage the congregation at OBC to evaluate every word that comes out of my mouth and measure it against the word of God. And, and if you feel that there is any issue there, let's sit down with the Bibles open and talk. Because I am not the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority as revealed by his word. So that's how we understand the new way. And the reminder here in 12 and 13 is to walk in the new way and to walk away from the old. So let's look at the next verse then, chapter 8, verse 14. It says, all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. And I, I love how, I mean, the rest of this portion talks again about belonging, but being part of, of something bigger than just yourself. You're adopted into a family. John 1 says it beautifully as well. For all those who did receive Christ, he gave them the right to be called children of God. So we are part of something bigger. As, as Romans 11 through 13 lays out that we are grafted in to Israel, that we are grafted in to the people of God. So I love how there's just this constant emphasis that we are not isolated, but we are part of something together. And and we are invited, in fact, encouraged to embark upon this journey towards freedom, and we do it as free people. That might seem like a bit of a contradiction, but we are free people being freed by the power of the Spirit. What do I, I mean by that? Well, we're free people because we're no longer powerless to be bound by the world. So in that regard, we have been given freedom. But, and it's a huge but, we can still be bound by the world. We can still find ourselves being drawn back into the ways of the world, into the old life. And we can find ourselves getting caught in, in, the, in the traps that are laid by the world system, by the enemy, that seek to drag us down and draw us back. So we are free people being freed by the power of the Spirit. We're no longer powerless to be bound by the world, but we can still be bound by it. And that leads to the question, how then can we lead ourselves, each other, towards freedom? And in that, we remember that we are part of a family. We embark upon this journey together as a family. And most importantly, we embark upon this journey as part of the family of God. 
So therefore, by the Spirit, we can be free. By the Spirit, we can help to bring freedom into other people's lives as well. For all those who are led by the Spirit, they are God's sons. All those led by God's Spirit are God's children. God's longing is for us not to fall back into our old ways, to get drawn back into the ways of the world. The church at Corinth had never really let go of the world, but it certainly was falling back into its old ways as well. And what does it say then to unpack that concept more? From verse 14 on, it says, For all those led by God's Spirit are God's sons. So here's verse 15 and 16. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. There's something in that about acceptance. People are longing to find acceptance. They're longing to find belonging. That is one of the most I would propose one of the most evident challenges that we face now in our communities through mental health issues, in large part is because people do not find or feel like they have belonging. And here we have verse 16, when you come to faith, when you come to Christ, the spirit that is now in you testifies together with your own spirit that you are one of God's children. Incredible. Important for us to, to emphasize at this point, as we, as we talk about embarking upon a journey, doing something, going towards a certain destination, the destination here being freedom, we, we do not do this in order to be accepted because we already are accepted through our response to Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, when we accept Christ, we are seen as righteous by God. It is his righteousness. When he looks at us, he sees the righteousness of Christ. So we don't journey through the sanctification process to be accepted by God. But we do go on this journey. We choose to embrace this journey as a demonstration of who we have become. It is the natural outworking of the new man that is in us. It's a natural outworking, a fruitfulness, we could say, of the Spirit. James would frame it as evidence of the new life. James, the book of James, would emphasize this dynamic of, well, we we have faith, yes, but we also live faith. We are redeemed, but we live as redeemed people. It becomes evident as we step out of our doors and amongst other people, and even when we're on our own in private. So there's this thrust here in verses 15, even 14 through to 16, that we are part of God's family. And, and it's, it's more than that. Verse 17, And if children, that is, children of God, we're also Heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That is huge. That doesn't mean that we're just part of the family, but we're a distant cousin that only has minimal contact with, with God the Father here and there. That's not God's desire. 
God's desire is that we are intimately connected to him, that we're in the household of God. We're not part of the family that lives down the street. We're actually in the household of God. And that means that there is a level of relationship that we can lean on and trust in that that is going to transform every dynamic of our lives. And it says here, and this is where we see a bit of a conditional coming in, because there are a lot of conditionals with God. We, we quite often will paint a picture that everything is unconditional. There are some things that are unconditional, but there are certain dynamics that we have to live out and embrace. So it says that we are heirs, heirs with God, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified in him. What does that mean? Well, I, I don't think it means that we have to all be physically tortured and crucified. Some people sadly do go through that to demonstrate their faith publicly. They have to demonstrate a resilience and a commitment by laying down their lives or being physically attacked and assaulted. I don't believe it's as limited as that, though. I think that it's it actually goes to the very heart of how we live our lives privately and publicly. So those words, if indeed we suffer with him, how do you suffer for Christ? How do you suffer for Christ? Well, I want to propose that we suffer for Christ in the choices, decisions, the postures we we make in life, where we position ourselves in life. Perhaps what we have to give up, what we have to let go of, the constraints that we have to put on our own desires and longings. We have to let go of things. That is part of what it means to suffer for Christ, is to, as it said at the start in verse number 12, let's go back and hear that again. We are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Part of suffering for Christ is no longer living obligated to the flesh. So if you are right now wrestling with something to try and let go, that is you suffering for Christ because you are you are st- taking a stand for Christ against the flesh. But what if we decide that we don't want to let go of something? What if we determine that actually we're happy to settle in the idea that we can have Christ's righteousness and also do as we please? Well, we remember that the emphasis here is that we are called to walk according to the Spirit. And that is to walk contrary to the world. That is to take a stand for something that might bring persecution, it might bring rejection, it might bring confusion, but it will also bring a richness because you're walking according to the Spirit. To walk according to the ways of the world and to reject, to consciously reject the ways of the Spirit is in a sense to demonstrate that we've actually misunderstood what it is to be born again into God's family. Romans chapter 6 lays that out in the first few verses. If you want to take a pause and go and listen, read those verses. We've misunderstood what it is to be born again if we do not walk 
away from the old and embrace the new. Being born again means that we we show a willingness to give God access to every aspect of our lives for sanctification. Now, again, it's important for us to pause here and emphasize that that isn't to say that we don't struggle to let go of the old self sometimes. There might be some dynamic of your life that you still find that you fall back into and that your conscience weighs on you, that you have a level of frustration and, and guilt even with that. That does not mean that you are willfully rejecting God. It means that you are wrestling with the flesh, but that your conscience is telling you that you should be walking according to the Spirit. We all wrestle, we all fall, we all stumble. And I I believe God understands that that is the case. We see how he deals with Peter. We see how he deals with Peter. Uh, when he when he meets Peter on the shore and he, he forgives Peter, he demonstrates that redemptive grace, the mercy and grace when he reaches out to Peter. We see it in 1 John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read that, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. I've always loved the book of 1 John, of 1 John, and I love this. Because this gives us hope. Chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing you these things so that you may not sin. So there's the encouragement, walk according to the Spirit. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So there's always hope when we fall short. And therefore we have to make a distinction between people saying, I'm not going to let go of this even though God tells me that I should. I'm not going to obey because I I want to follow my own will more than I want to follow God's will. That is different to I know that I shouldn't have gone there. I know that I shouldn't have done that, but I'm I'm wrestling here with this issue. God help me, give me strength. I want to walk away from that. That is That is different. That is different. There is a grace, I think, for that. I don't believe there is a grace. Well, there might be a grace for a period when we constantly reject God, but but I don't know that that grace lasts forever. The question I would say is, why test God? Why continue to test God? Romans 1 Verses 18 to 32 give us a warning of what it is to constantly and habitually reject God. And we could also personalize it and say, why rob ourselves of the richness of walking in the Spirit? So, we we live in the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. and, And we therefore acknowledge the grace and the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. And living in and being led by the Spirit is how that is framed and formed. It's it's what we do. And, and living that way, because we have grace and mercy in the forefronts of our minds, it moves us to praise. Because in that we acknowledge who we were without Christ, who we could be if we opted out of God's sanctifying work, but also who we are in Christ and who we can be by the Spirit. And that's why I love these verses because they lay out for us 
who we are in Christ and who we can be by the Spirit. Let's pray together as we begin this new year. We say every year that it's a new year filled with opportunity and every year is filled with opportunity. I don't know what it is about starting a new year. We have a perhaps a fresh enthusiasm for what's ahead. But I want to just encourage you as I pray. Let's ask God to help us to walk in his fullness this year. And to do that, we must have the Spirit and we must yield to the Spirit. So let's pray together. Father, we just thank you that you minister to our hearts by your word, that your Holy Spirit in us testifies to our spirit in, in a myriad of ways, God, in how we are to be transformed, how we are to live our lives, where we should stand and where we should step back, what we should embrace and what we should let go. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me to get a better grasp of that this year. And I speak that over every single person listening, that we would hear your voice clearer than ever before and give us the strength and the courage to yield to it, to embrace it and to embody it. You are what matters this year, God. Your way, not my way. Your will, not my will. Help us all, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you.